Welcome. This is the Synth DIY podcast. Before we get started, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has watched, commented, and liked the podcast we've had so far. I'd really appreciate it if you give this episode a like and consider subscribing, as it really helps to grow the show. I'm here today with Me Built. Hi, Tommy. Do you want to say a few words to introduce yourself? Yeah, I can. Uh, I can start by uh, saying that I'm. Uh... And um, almost 60 years now, 59 years old, and I've uh, been working with, uh, uh, say, development for 30, almost uh, 35 years now. And uh, I have uh, a sort of need for a, um, a synthesizer, and uh, I decided to, to build one or, or start uh, doing that as a part of my hobbies. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. I certainly um, know that you've tackled it in a way that most people, you know, would be quite envious of, that you've got the technical ability to be able to produce the end result that you have. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of my uh, sort of background. I uh, I've, Over the years, I've learned a little bit about electronics uh, production and uh, software development and uh, product development in general and how to sort of build things that uh, that work and are easy to manufacture and stuff like that. So that, that's the background, really. So in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the software development, you're quite far away from the hardware, or do you deal with software that integrates with hardware? Uh, it uh, integrates with hardware. Uh, I've been working as both as uh, an electronics uh, design engineer and uh, sort of embedded uh, software for basically microcontrollers and stuff like that. So it's uh, so it's very hardware near. Yeah, that um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that from um, you know whenever I watch your videos. Um, I'm sure I'm going to mention this a few times. I'm all, um, a few times in this chat, but I'm always so impressed by the um, not only the the quality of the end result, but the methodical approach that you take to the delivery. It's really fantastic to watch. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, yeah, it's a re- really fun to to do things like this. I mean, I'm doing it for myself and uh, um, to the community, of course. Uh, since I uh, everything I do is available on on GitHub, so uh, that's the whole point with it, really, to to make something that uh, where I can sort of uh, benefit from the, from the knowledge or, or the things that I've learned over the years and uh, make something uh, for myself. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of tackling it. I know that you've you've kind of taken the approach of using github and being very open source minded but what was it that inspired you to take that approach i think it was the rest of the community um, uh, almost everyone is has a github or is sharing their designs in uh, on youtube or discord uh, servers or yeah, so it's i think that um, that is a really nice way of uh, sort of uh, um, contributing and uh, helping each other and and I, I must say that I'm, I'm I'm really surprised how 
how the community is uh, sharing and uh, people are helping each other a lot and uh, you can always get uh, you can sort of uh, throw up ideas that you have of a, of a module or, or or a problem or whatever and people will help you so uh, so i think that's that's rare. and in general people are very very nice i uh, i uh, see that on my youtube channel that is uh, there's no uh, sort of rough comments or, or uh, a lot of likes and uh, very very few dislikes of the videos and i'm very uh, i'm very thankful for that of course yeah i'm not surprised i mean when when i saw your videos for the first time and this is way before i thought about doing this podcast i was like blown away by the quality of the content as i mentioned earlier um i think that the not only from my own experience, making videos is in itself a skill which you have to tackle in a particular way. You have to, you, it's a development that you do, you know, not just in the hardware, but, but in the software side of it and the editing and all of those various components. Was that something that you found challenging initially? Yeah, of course. It's it's uh, when you see many of the channels, you see they they look absolutely gorgeous and they uh, they are presenting things in a very nice way and they have these uh, illustrations and animations and stuff like that. And uh, so I was kind of think, okay, this is this looks really really tough uh, to, but I have to sort of limit it to to uh, a level that that is suitable for me and uh, and what I. What I can do, and uh, um, so uh, so I, I kind of try to do it as as good as I can. Um, and uh, so far, I'm I'm quite happy with it. I uh, I also actually have a I have another YouTube channel that is uh, uh, more into scale modeling. Um, and uh, so, so I learned a little bit from that. Uh, I would say. So that was my sort of first project, and uh, and I uh, so it evolved a little bit from from that, and uh, and I have uh, um, getting more used to uh, speaking and things like that into uh, doing voiceovers and, and stuff like that in the videos. So so yeah, so it, it's been a, a bit of a learning curve, I would say, but I uh, and I uh, still. Uh, think I can get much better at it really so uh, yeah I'm <laughs> I'm trying my best well I think you're doing a magnificent job um and I'm really interested I know this is about synth DIY but I did in one of your um in one of your videos and I've mentioned it previously when you were making the braids screen you you created a little um little tiny screen can you take us through that process because i'd love the audience to hear it from yourself yeah it's a sort of um, um <clears throat> sort of uh, what should i say technology transfer from scale modeling <laughs> i uh, i have uh, two types of 3d printers one is the, the fdm type the, the one that is sort of melting metal uh, sorry melting melting plastic and uh, um uh, applying it in layers and the other one is a uh, sort of simple SLA or MSLA type which is uh, um, 
a sort of uses uh, UV uh, curing resin where you can sort of build up uh, in also in layers but you do it with an, with an display that is sort of um, uh, basically taking a photo of each layer and applying it to it and you build up layers like that and the the, the advantage with that is that you get much higher resolution uh, but um, and the, the prints are also completely solid. So that means that I can actually build something like a lens for uh, for display because it's a solid material. And uh, the trick is that the, the outer layers looks like a crap. So you have to do something about that. <laughs> and uh, the way that I approach that is to basically sand it down with a wet, wet uh, sanding paper. Um, just to, to sort of uh, reduce all the, to, to make it flat basically, and, and to reduce all the uh, stuff that is on, on the on the surface. And after that, I um, uh, coat it with a clear varnish um, that is, that cures uh, quite hard. And, uh, and then I can, after that, I can polish that with, uh, with a sort of rubbing that you use for for scale models to to get the shine the sheen on the on the um, on your paint uh, jobs, and uh, so that it, so basically it's a clear, very glossy uh, surface. And uh, in the braids case, I, I actually added some uh, ink to the to the resin, so I sort of added a, a orange color to to give it a little bit more. That, that works fine with the uh, with the red uh, uh, LED display, I think. So that's the basic, basically the process. Yeah, um, when I watched that video, I must admit, when you started doing the lens um, screen, I I went crazy because I was thinking, you know, the, the the shot that you used and the the process of like rubbing it down i was like this is so enjoyable to watch <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's, you, uh... yeah, you don't often see people take it because normally like with the diy um community we're quite happy if if it's got a panel at all you know if it's yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know from my early my early um diy modules where i had no panel i would literally find some scrap metal in my garage i would i would find out the measurements for a euro wrap panel really badly cut it okay <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then um, um and basically make and then i would try and dress it with paint and maybe some you know be a little bit meticulous about the drawing and, and i'll be happy with it but, yeah yeah <laughs> but, but the level you went to i was and, and then when you start talking about the model building, I could really, I got a feel for like, oh, this is why, you know, this level of meticulous delivery, this is where this may be coming from. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely that. Uh, I've been building scale models for, I think, uh, seven or eight years. And uh, a usual build, let's say uh, an aircraft or something in uh, um, scale one, 48 it takes a half a year to complete that kit with all the all the extra work that is done with the 3d print, printed parts and uh, and scratch building and yeah 
even painting and everything. Well, it's incredible, like half a year to make. Yeah, a yeah, model. it's uh, it's. But uh, after that, you're so kind of sick of uh, scale modeling for a while, and you have to do something else. <laughs> and uh, that's one actually one reason why I started with uh, the, one of the reasons that I started with synth uh, DIY was actually that I wanted to have a sort of second hobby to, uh, uh, yeah, to to do. That's fantastic. I mean, so you've been doing, what's the name of your YouTube, by the way, for the scale modeling? Is that something I'd love to see it? Is that something? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a link on my, my YouTube channel. It's called uh, scale, uh, killbox scale modeling. So it's, uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different types of videos that are sort of how to's and, uh, build, uh, um, build videos and uh, also some product reviews or inbox reviews and uh, yeah a lot of things so if that was your first kind of venture into youtube talking about your hobbies um, and you how long have you been doing synth diy in total uh, i think yeah it started um, maybe two years ago something like that yeah wow so in this short period of time you've managed to produce some modules it you know diy at home which frankly look like they've been produced <laughs> you know like professionally this is incredible yeah yeah it's yeah it, but it's um, i mean it's all thanks to uh, to the open source uh, software that is available like uh, um recently i've started to use uh, freecad for for uh, mechanical drawings and and cad uh, uh, for models for for 3D printer and things like that, and I also use uh, KiCad for um, drawing schematics and uh, doing layout, and uh, and of course uh, all the Chinese manufacturers uh, that can produce PCBs for uh, for very cheap. They it wouldn't be possible to to do something like this without that because it would be too costly to to produce it uh, sort of. Um, uh, traditionally or here in Europe I would say so uh, so that's the uh, very much thanks to that that actually I would say that's great to hear and also you know to see someone you know in a short period of time really two years be able to turn a concept or an idea of you know starting a hobby like synth DIY and getting to the point where a module like you know like your output module for example that is incredibly well considered and it's got you know all the vu meters it's got all of the feature headphone amp all of the components that you'd hope for in a professional module it's incredible yeah yeah that, that was the the whole point to to actually build something that that um would compete with uh, with the products that are already out there from well-known manufacturers but uh, it should, of course, be possible to DIY and uh, not so expensive. Yeah, that's fantastic. I also like the fact that I know that you offer the Tindy kits and also the open source element of it as well. How do, how do you balance that? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> it all started when I, uh, I received a lot of requests from people that wanted me to buy 
sorry, build modules uh, for them or uh, provide kits and things like that. And I, I realized that most people, they, uh, they struggle a little bit with uh, SMD. And uh, so I thought that, okay, maybe I, I can redesign the kits so they are actually possible to, uh, to uh, sort of sell like, like uh, kits. And uh, just to make it easier, because if, if you download the, the files from GitHub and you place an order to at uh, some somewhere like uh, JLC PCB or whatever, then you have to buy five PCBs. So you end up with a sort of, okay, I got one, but I have four more that I don't know what to do with, or maybe you can use two or, or three, depending on what type of module that it is. And, and then you have to start sourcing components and you have to buy them from all, all around the world, basically, to, to get everything. You can buy something from Mouser and something from Farnell or Tida or, or um, some other place. But uh, it can be quite costly if you don't have a, a stock of components already or, or have sort of... Um, so, so the idea was to, okay, let's try to make, uh, um, kits for, for the modules that are not so expensive. So people can, it, it shouldn't be a big, uh, threshold to sort of choose. If you only want one module, then you can buy, buy a kit. And, um, and I, I think that by, by offering, uh, everything uh, on, on GitHub as well. I, I think that's a sort of fair option for people. So if you don't, they don't want to buy the kit, then they can DIY it, or they can take the schematics and uh, make it on uh, a stripboard or or whatever. So it's it's up to them basically. Yeah, I think it's a really nice balance actually because I totally understand that ethos because having you know sometimes when you you just want to build that one kit you don't want to have five like you say and also you're prepared to the fact that someone has put together a kit you you understand that and you're prepared to pay more you, you you're not interested in the benefit of having i don't know 50 op amps in your collection yeah. um, you just want to make that one module you've connected with the youtube channel you've seen the walkthrough the build video and now you just want to make that that one module makes sense yeah. So it uh, and, uh, and of course it's uh, uh, the pricing has to be at the level where where it's still affordable for for someone that is uh, DIYing because many many of, of the reason me included uh, many people started DIYing because they wanted to have a euro rack but they don't want to pay the money for for uh, off the shelf uh, products. Uh, and um, so, so, so I think that the price pricing should be at that level. Uh, maybe a little bit more expensive if you do everything yourself, but yeah, not too far away. Yeah, no, it makes sense, and I think it's a. I I really like that ideology because um, you're sharing. You've got the GitHub. You've got the YouTube. You've got all of that accessibility um, have you got a discord as well uh no i'm <laughs> i haven't set up that that um uh, you can find me at uh, christian blåsol's uh, discord so i'm basically on uh, all, all the time there 
so if someone wants to uh, to uh, get in contact with me that that is a good place yeah that's great to know um so what about a technical background we know that you've you know for a living do these um micro processor type of activities development um do you have any specific qualifications i'm not i don't want to know your cv by the way i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) i'm just saying are are you um are you trained um professionally let's put it that way yeah i i don't know if i'm i'm part trained uh so to speak i i I went uh, one year or less than one year actually to university um and uh took a couple of 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 courses there um but uh, apart from that i'm I'm self-taught uh basically fantastic i uh, um i've been working mostly with digital design uh digital electronics so uh, for me uh synth diy was actually a very good way to start learning more about analog electronics because I, I, of course, I understand the basics and I've done some designs with op amps and yeah, simple things with transistors and uh, and um, power supplies or things like that. But not not really professionally. Um, it's mostly as, as a hobby. Um, so uh, this was kind of way to, okay, I want to learn more about uh, filter design. I want to learn more about... Uh, things like uh, an OTA and uh, which is something that you don't uh, see in the uh, elsewhere in the it's basically only used in in the music uh, industry for musical instruments so so that was kind of new for and also a motivation for me to to start uh, uh, building my own synthesizers do you, do you want to give a quick um I, I'm you know I don't want to put you on the spot here but um a quick overview of what an OTA does, just in case people on this uh, in the audience, I don't, you know, I, I'm not um, just to give people a light, high-level overview. Yeah, I it's. Uh, I, 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 I would, um, if someone wants to know exactly how it works, <laughs> I would say that I would recommend people to go to to Aaron Lanterman's uh, video channel, uh, YouTube channel. He has a very, very good uh, video on uh, just how the, the internals of, of the OTA and how it works. And it's also explained in a way that is very, makes m- m- much, very much sense. But um, so, okay, yeah. So it's. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I can make a complete fool out, out of myself here, <laughs> actually, because <laughs> the, uh, there are parts that I really don't uh, are, are exactly sure of. But uh, basically, it's an op, op amp that. Uh, um you input the uh, voltages and you can output current and uh, you can also uh, control that current uh, on the output so yeah that's the that's perfect that's <laughs> yeah. perfect so, so but uh, go check uh, aaron lantman's uh, video about it because uh, it's very very good and uh, i really recommend that I'm interested to dig a little bit more into why do you think that it's only seen in the kind of audio circuits generally? Uh, I don't know really. I think the application is is uh, some a bit strange, maybe. Uh, nor- normally we work with voltages or currents, and 
but this is a sort of combination of of the both so that that is my um, very unprofessional guess and uh, and the, the applications are um i think the performance of of the ota as as an sort of op amp is is quite limited uh, also so it's there are better options or better ways of of um doing amplification or what, whatever you want to do uh, using irregular op amps so so i think that's that's why you don't see it in in so many different things i remember the first time i came across one was in a particular zlob modular uses one in the this vca and i had a problem it's a six in six out vca very very useful quite a small footprint for through hole and so everything's standing resistors yeah I, I always mention this one because it was a bit of a i ended up building three of them because the first one had issues and the the guy from slob was like really cool he gave me the um the file so i could load it up into um easy da or something and basically track all of the connections um and okay. and but it was an ota so i'd never really experienced otas at that point i was expecting to see output on the you know what i thought would be working like an op amp and of course you don't see any and, and it became this kind of mythical chip that i couldn't get my head around yeah <laughs> yeah it was basically like you know when yeah. you think oh you think troubleshooting you think you know about troubleshooting do you gareth well here's an ota <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not easy so uh, this the voltages are very very small and uh, so it's uh, difficult to to measure anything and uh, s s since it's current it's yeah it's, it's more difficult to measure basically and uh because of that so um so yeah i can understand the the struggle <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was. but it makes them more intriguing and i i'm not sure if it is the same chapter you're talking about but i found this guy on youtube with a beard and he like talks about a very long beard and he talks about otas very passionately he's got a great video i'll have to double check his name i might put it in mm -hmm. the description mm -hmm. yep um i've got a question about just generally in modular synths when was the first time that you came across a modular synth could you take us back to that moment so we could relive it with you yeah i, th I think it's i, I um uh, i've probably seen them a lot in uh in like um photos and uh things with uh uh with the great uh, prog bands in in 70s and uh, 80s and uh but i never understood really uh the the idea or or the benefit with, with it more that than it looked really spectacular and awesome but uh i think the first time i really had my i, I saw something about uh, modular that i uh, was interesting it was uh probably on youtube um i wonder if it wasn't uh colin benders or something one of these uh he had uh, sort of streams where he was playing um 
I think it was that the first time I really saw a Eurorack modular in, in action. So uh, that was uh, kind of very impressive. And uh, wow, that looks awesome. <laughs> and um, and after that, I, th I think um, Christian Blossol's uh, modular in a week was definitely one of the first when I started to Google uh, Eurorack and uh, modular and stuff like that. Then then his his channel came up. And um, and Moritz Klein, of course, he has also been a sort of one of the first uh, videos that I saw about modular was was one of his uh, VCO series, I think. Yeah, I can understand. All the, you know, I've got common references there. I mean, Colin Bender's videos are legendary. His use of Eurorack is on a scale which blows my mind completely yeah it's uh, absolutely mind-boggling the way he's uh, he's playing it like an instrument it's uh, really something else and also kind of terrifying because you think i can understand what i can well when i'm listening to it i can't really understand it to be honest i know he explains it in his videos but it kind of makes you a little bit scared is this what i'm gonna have to have Hardware wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do I need all this stuff to yeah. <laughs> to make these sounds? And um, maybe not all of it, but uh, you need a lot of stuff. You do. And um, Christian's obviously been on the show, and his approach, which shares a lot of the commonality with your GitHub um, approach, with his openness and accessibility being right at the top of his list when it comes to. His presentation yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah i mean he, he's a fantastic person to have on the show and I, I, what i really love about christian is the fact that he's using this kind of modular approach to everything around him yeah yeah you, you mean his uh, workshop and yeah. uh yeah it's uh, it's awesome there are functions hidden everywhere in in, in that space it's <laughs> really fantastic I know, and with uh, Moritz Klein, his his presentation with the drawings and you know the the schematics which he's able to display in his videos and walk you through it it blows your mind to think that you know we live in an age where we have got such fantastic resources for the um, you know this information is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really amazing. It's uh, um, if if I go back to the first time when I actually saw a synthesizer um, or the inside of it, it was uh, it was back in the I think in the um, in the early eighties somewhere. Uh, a friend of mine had a um, sequential uh, circuits uh, Prophet Five, and uh, it was broken. And he knew that, okay, you know a thing or two about electronics. Uh, can you help me to fix it? Well, I can try, <laughs> I said. And uh, so I, I, he, uh, I got it home and I opened it up and I looked at all the electronics and all the uh, different, different voice boards and uh, yeah, everything. And uh, it was quite amazing, actually. that, that uh, And um, I failed. Uh, unfortunately in uh, fixing that because 
back in the day you you couldn't i mean there was no internet so you couldn't find any information unless you were actually working with instrument musical instrument repair or you had connections uh, there there was no way to google things or the, the service manuals they were sort of locked away in in uh, in those uh, service workshops and um so i i uh, I, I mean i try, tried to i had some connections uh, back then with uh, with people that were actually working with electronics and i asked them about uh, do you know the the brand ssm do you know what that is <laughs> i have no clue what uh, what is it says so on one of the ships here and i think it's broken so i need one need to get hold of one uh, I never heard of that. I don't know what it is. So, uh, so basically, that's uh, nowadays. Uh, it takes like uh, two minutes, and you can probably order um, um, sort of copies or or uh, um, new versions of of, uh, of those uh, ships uh, over the internet, and you can find the service manual. So it's very easy to to troubleshoot, and so. Uh, nowadays, I would probably have fixed his uh, synthesizer in uh, an hour or so, I guess. But uh, <laughs> back then, it was uh, impossible for me to do. So, uh, so that that's, that's uh, and I think many people take this for granted that the, the information that it's always been like that. It's always been out on the internet. So, uh, well, why why did you have so much problems earlier with uh, designing things or finding? information yeah because it was not available for everyone so so i think we have come a long way with that do, do you think that the explosion in well what it seems like in open source development mindset has come from having this experience earlier on in life a lot of people you know having a synthesizer and it's almost like a black box that you cannot see inside um and then nowadays the focus has kind of seemed to be moving away from that kind of mentality. Do you, what do you think has kind of added to that kind of shift towards open source? Um, it's uh, hard to say, really. I uh, I think it's a re general uh, shift in in the society that uh, or um, we 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 see that there are things that actually work with open source like linux and uh, and uh, software development in general and a lot of other things that you, you can actually benefit from 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 sharing it and uh, working together with other people so i think that sort of maybe a bit of sh uh, shift in the and and of course the accessibility of of information um that that sort of makes everything much easier yeah, I definitely find that even though I know I mentioned mutable instruments a lot on the show, um, but the kind of mindset where you're able to both produce a product which you're charging for, but at the same time provide open source versions of the code, well, not versions, but actually provide the code via the open source methodology um, and also allow people to be able to produce their own versions of it is incredible yeah yeah it's it's uh, really mind-blowing and uh, I, I think that um, 
um, the modular community has, has a lot of to to thank uh, Emily uh, for for the, there's a lot of things that she have done that are are helping people with understanding how to uh, to use uh, um, modern microprocessors in in for for, for audio applications and yeah, it, there's a lot of things that um, I at least I didn't know about that before I I I saw uh, mutable instruments. Uh, uh, designs so so i think it's it's really great and we we have a lot to to, to thank her for yeah i totally agree and I, I you know i don't have any real world experience of the the code um and the kind of utilization that you're talking about in terms of the actual microcontroller usage but from the kind of tool usage of github and all of the various kind of mechanisms for communicating. I think that not only was there a kind of clear direction given in terms of the coding, but also in the utilization of open source in general. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Hmm? So when it comes to um, your builds, are you designing first in a breadboard type of environment, or are you doing it in software? I uh, almost every time I, I start with uh, putting the design on, on breadboard, and uh, just to get um, uh, check that everything is working like it should be doing, and. Um, uh, then I can also make small changes and adapt the design a little bit if it's, it's based on, on someone else's design. Then I can make modifications and check that they are okay and are working. And uh, after that, I normally uh, capture everything into KiCad, into a schematic diagram, um, to, to have a sort of take it from there to, to layout. Um, I normally don't, or I don't think I have ever done a stripboard design or or build, or um, so I think I'll go directly from breadboard to PCB, basically <laughs> through KiCad. So that's that's the, the the flow or the process. So it sounds like you. Are you not necessarily working with a schematic in mind, or do you have some kind of clear ideas about the functional blocks which you're going to use in your design? Yeah, I, I think uh, I like to to sort of see the design as uh, different building blocks that are sort of interconnected, um, and they the building blocks they should sort of uh, have a clear purpose and uh, work on, on their own. So to speak, and um, that that is something that I think it's a more modern, more modern way of designing. If you compare it to, uh, for example, the Roland uh, TR909 uh, drum, if you look at the different voices and and how how they are um, built up, everything is very very sort of optimized. Everything is uh, tightly interconnected, and if you change one value, then something else happens in 
in other part of the design. So it's very difficult to to make changes to design like that because everything is sort of depending on on everything else. And uh, I would like to have an approach where I can sort of have building blocks that I can change uh, uh, individually, and then I sort of put them together. Uh, the, the component cost, of course, if you do that, is probably a little bit higher than the, the, the if you compare it to the TR909 TR uh, way of doing it. And uh, that, that makes sense. I mean, the way they did it was it made perfectly sense back then because um, ICs were quite expensive. And uh, or semiconductors were, were quite expensive. So um, it made sense to sort of minimize the use of, of um, you can, couldn't have buffers or, or extra hardware in between just to have sort of separated blocks you had to sort of put everything together to optimize the design to make it cheaper to manufacture basically but but nowadays it's uh, semiconductors are are uh, smaller and they are cheaper and uh, yeah so you can use more of them basically yeah that makes sense so you're basically saying that in in the past Roland had to cost cut essentially because in a in a module in a modular design everything would be independent there would be input output buffers yeah. for each voice essentially in the drum machine um which would obviously increase the cost massively so in their holistic kind of design of the drum machine they shifted they made everything interconnect directly and therefore if you change one resistor over here, then it can have a net result in the output of another drum. Yeah, yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I know that you've got a big connection with the 909, and you've, um, you know, I know that in your builds, the 909 features heavily. Do you want to talk us through the 909? And what, not the 909, but why, why you chose the 909? Be interested. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's uh, the basically the the um, what should I call it? The mother of all <laughs> drum uh, machines. Uh, it's it's really not, but uh, it's it, for for the music. I, I I listen a lot to techno, and for 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 that, it's uh, definitely the the it's a nine oh nine or the eight oh eight. Those two. That, uh, and I really like the 909, the sound of it and, uh, and everything. So, um, and they are basically impossible to get hold of. And uh, for, for, for someone that doesn't have a studio or, or, or a lot of money. So uh, I was thinking about buying um, a Behringer RD9, but uh, I thought well, maybe I want to DIY this instead. So, uh, <laughs> so I started looking at, at the schematics and looking at uh, hex inverters uh, designs, um, and also the, the there are also uh, schematics of the, the 1990, uh, which is a sort of rack mount version of, of the 909 for with only MIDI, in. and um, so so those are sort of the the the, the starting points for. For the design, and they are um, 
made with uh, more modern components, I would say, not not the old uh, Japanese uh, uh, transistors and and uh, yeah, yeah, ICs. So they are they are easily they they are easy to to build. And I wanted to build it with SMD, so I I um, decided to do uh, the sort of yeah my own design based on that. And um, so I, I, so far I've done the the kick drum and and the snare, and uh, right now I'm waiting for the PCBs for the for the hi hat. So that's one is next, and uh, after that I will do probably the the rim shot module, uh, and I will do that as a sort of multi episode. Um, series on my YouTube channel where I talk about uh, how I um, basically what we are talking about the workflow how, how I uh, design things from starting from looking up a design and putting it on breadboard and yeah go through KiCad and how to design Eurorack panels using PCBs and there are a lot of tutorials that uh, do that but I want to do something that is sort of um, uh, the way I do it, and also um, the, the end product should be something that that is available on GitHub for everyone. So, with your designs, are they what you would call true representations of the nine hundred nine individual voices, or have you added any additional features? Uh, I haven't added any features but i i'm not sure if they are are 100 uh, accurate I, I i think that they the 909 sounds a little bit different uh, than my modules and there is also a big spread between uh, in individuals of of 909s because they it's a i mean it's a 40 year old design that is uh, so some of the units they are serviced or they have been modified or there have been a lot of things and there's also component um, tolerance or var variance between the the units so i guess that they even those that when they rolled out of the factory they they didn't sound the same so so it's uh yeah uh, it's close enough i would say for at least for me yeah that's fantastic i, I know i I've had the same experience. I've made two of those DINSYNC RE303s. Um, I made one, the first one, and I made it with like all the correct components, but I didn't go completely crazy with the cost of them because, you know, with tolerance, you know, I didn't match some of the components exactly. They were just like, you know, the right value. Whereas on the second one, I went, you know full hog <laughs> and i did did everything you know like even got the correct um ba662 etc and the net result was they both sounded like 303s and but they both sounded different i couldn't really tell you whether it was worth you know you could maybe if someone said oh yeah you can hear some slight difference but to be honest absolute honest with you I used the first one I made more than the second one um, with okay. all the expensive stuff in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the, one of the interesting questions I've got for you, when it comes to the nine oh nine, this is a bit more of a sound design slash architecture. 
question and I thought maybe you might know the answer with the 808 kick drum versus the 909 what what is it do you think in the design of the 909 kick drum that makes it different from the 808 can you answer that firstly i don't i don't know if i can answer but uh, the the thing that i appreciate is the the sort of the the click or the transient at the beginning of the of the of the kick uh that is something that i i think that is why i would probably choose a 909 over 808 uh but uh, but i I mean it depends also what what kind of music you want to do and and uh, they both are are great so so yeah but th- that will be my preference for the 909 so how do, do you know how that transient is created in the circuit do you know I, i'm interested I, i'll tell you why i'm interested i've recently started using a just a pure sine wave as a kick drum um mm-hmm. and it's missing the trans transient yeah, and, and I've been <laughs> and I've been thinking about how to create that transient, and I was just this is purely for like my my own music creation. I was wondering a how I could create that transient, and b what was it in the nine oh nine that made the transient? I was interested if you, if you like know that. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there there is actually a, a part of the circuit that is is you doing just that. And that, that is, um, I don't know what I should call it. It's sort of a um, triggered resonance uh, circuit. I think it's a filter or something like that. But you trigger it with a with an impulse, and it outputs a, a very weird-looking transient. And you mix that with uh, with noise, white noise, uh, and that is the sort of the attack of the of the kick. So maybe you could. So if you used a gate against a filter, a resonant filter mixed with white noise, you could get a similar vibe. Or yeah, or, you could maybe yeah. It's, like, uh, it's yeah, quite L- possible, I think. LPG or something like that as well. Maybe if you hit an LPG right, it might give you some weird transient. Yeah, yeah. That answers uh, my question. That's brilliant. That's what I'm going to be trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's uh, yeah. I don't exactly know how that circuit works, but uh, it's uh, when when I I, I I did some measurements with an oscilloscope just to check if I could understand what it's doing. But it's it's some kind of um, of uh, a response from from a filter that is uh, sort of mixed together with a with a with a signal that goes into to the to the output VCA. It's amazing how much white noise is used in drum machines. It's an incredible component. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's uh, it's used everywhere. Actually, in in uh, in the system like we we have now, we are talking over uh, internet. We are using uh, comfort noise for, and uh, noise is also used for, um, yeah, encryption and decryption and things like that. So it's. Very versatile. Have you? I know some modules that I've looked at have kind of got all these different types of noise, like you know, pink and various colours. Um, have you ever like looked into different types of noise sources? 
I, I um, I'm planning to build a module uh, with that. Um, the, there are a couple of ways of of, uh, of producing. Basically, the easiest way of producing pink noise or blue noise is to to filter uh, white noise. But you have to have a, a, a special filter, a special designed filter to to it because you. Um, uh the drop over the frequency shouldn't be you can't can't use a, a regular rc filter or something like that you have to do something a little bit more elaborate or, or you can use some your digital source and uh, do the filtering digitally uh so that, that, that's basically two ways of doing it i think um uh, Moritz Klein have, has a really good video on on with this noise module, and he explains really how how this filter um, setup is working, and uh, with examples and yeah everything. So, but of course his his videos is very good. So, <laughs> so, you, so that, that's that that's a good place to 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 start if you want to build a module. I definitely think that. It's interesting talking about noise with someone like yourself because, you know, there's two elements to it. One, which is the kind of creation of noise and the various technical aspects relating to that, but, but also how people connect so much with the different types of noise. And, for example, you know, you could say when you listen to a particular drum machine, oh, the snare doesn't sound right because... You know, the, and it would be probably down to the choice of noise, how the noise was created, um, yeah. like which transistors, um, whether it was SMD. You know, there's a lot of talk about through-hole components, through-hole transistors that over a particular age and characteristic, creating a different type of noise. Have, have you looked into that kind of thing yourself? Um, not really, but I... I uh... One thing that I explored when I made my 909 snare module was that I um, I tried a couple of SMD um, transistors for the, there is a, a VCA path in in the um, in the snare uh, 909 snare and then th there are some special uh, high gain uh, NPN transistors that are used there. I don't remember the the name of them right now but uh, I tried different types just to check if uh, can I use uh, SMD components instead or what I actually went back to to uh, to through hole for for that so because it sounded more like the way I wanted it that's really interesting I, I definitely um, one of the little jokes that I used to have with my friends was, you know there's more space for the electrons to move around inside a through hole <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> but it is interesting though because when it comes to what we humans like and don't like about something so seemingly kind of non-important as noise ends up being the definition of why we like something yeah it's uh it's a uh, really interesting actually it's like like the sound of uh, of waves um or, or the wind it's uh, two different uh, types of noises and and you can yeah it's very easy to distinguish between them 
Yeah. I know. And sometimes, you know, you can literally, I've done it myself where I've created noise and I've tried to play, you know, different kind of patches using like, <clears throat> excuse me, um, using like filtering of noise or maybe using, oh, oh what happens if I run it through a, an overdrive or if it's clipping or if it's very low level and, and sometimes you can get to that position where you're, you're, modulating it and you're trying trying to hear the wind or trying to hear waves but it's so hard to get anything that sounds like nature out of it in my experience yeah it's uh, too static uh, i mean the ear can pick up that uh, very quickly and say this is not natural waves or or uh, wind this is something synthetic okay i've got uh, another question um when it comes to your breadboard designs and you say you've kind of like put together your building blocks and it's not working as expected, could you give us like a high level overview of your troubleshooting approach? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, probably, I, I mean, I, I use, uh, oscilloscopes and, uh, um multimeters like i guess everyone else for for troubleshooting and uh, you have to sort of uh, uh if there is no uh, sound in a in a signal path then you have to start looking where where is it where where does it disappear or and then you start in the middle and see okay it's not here and then you work your way um to to uh, where the where you can find that okay the problem is something around here and then you can so i, I think that is um, sometimes i i uh, if there is a part of a design that is i think this is causing trouble or i suspect that this will be very um um what should i say um easy to to it is very sensitive to uh, changes in tolerance or or whatever then i then i make uh, maybe a sort of i try with uh, different values and see if okay is, does the design seem stable or if i change the values a little bit then or change between the same value but different resistors or or capacitors does it behave bad in, in any way a sort of um, Monte Carlo analysis on on a <laughs> using components instead, and uh, that, then so, so there are different ways of sort of uh, ensuring that that uh, the circuit is working and will work as expected in in uh, if I make one or two or ten or hundred of them of them. So uh, then that is one way of. Uh, doing it but uh, i think uh, troubleshooting i mean sometimes it's it's really difficult to to uh, to figure out the problem and and on bread or maybe you have done something wrong and then you can if you can't find it i actually done a couple of times that i basically um ripped all the components from the breadboard and started all over again and then I got it to work. <laughs> so, uh, so sometimes you have to do some drastic things to to get there. But, oh, that's uh, yeah. great. 
No, th- <laughs> no, thanks for that. I think it's nice to hear when, because like, as I said, you know, your videos are so fantastically presented. It's nice to hear that, you know, behind the scenes, you're having the same challenges that everyone else. Yeah, of course, of course. I'm, I'm no different. It's uh, there, there are a lot of struggles before I, I get something working and uh, get it, get a video shot of it. So, uh, but I, if I see something or, or um, encounter something that I think is okay, this is actually worth mentioning. Then I try to to bring it up in in the video to to sort of give people a heads up that this caused problem for me, but I solved it like this. So yeah, maybe that can help someone. Definitely, definitely will. How about um, for newcomers into Synth DIY? What advice would you give them? Um, what should I say? Start with, don't be afraid to try it. <laughs> That's a good one. I think don't, uh, don't be afraid to, to build things. It's, uh, we are dealing with low voltages and, uh, there is nothing hazardous or, or, um, so it's, uh, don't be afraid to experiment and, uh, learn by, by doing things and not, not just study. YouTube videos or, or read uh, documents online. Try try to build something and uh, get it to work on on a breadboard or or a stripboard or whatever you way you prefer to do it. Uh, and I also I I also think that it's a good idea to get good tools. You don't have to buy the best one or or uh, I, I use this. Um, uh, for when buying tools, even for for my house, when I buy tools for for renovating or or whatever or other projects, I always buy a cheap tool first. And uh, if I wear that out, or if it doesn't, uh, if it's not good enough, then I buy I buy a good one. <laughs> and um, so I don't buy the most expensive uh, tool out there the first time. So just to make sure that I'm actually using the tool and it's, I need to have something that is good because sometimes you, you can be, uh, it's okay to, to use a tool that isn't uh, uh, the best one or, or if it suits you or, or you can get the work done with it. That's okay. There's no need to, to have the best stuff all the time to, to do something. So, uh, uh, that's my advice too. But if you feel that this is something that I use a lot, for example, a soldering iron, or then uh, it's a good idea to get a good one from the get-go. Thank you, Tommy. That's a really good uh, answer, actually. I think that's kind of nice. You know, find out which buy buy cheap to start with, wear it out. Which one? Well, the ones you wear out, buy a good one. Yeah, yeah you, because you're using them and you will probably need better ones for uh, later on. Yeah, thanks. That's brilliant advice for people. Ideal. Um, how about um, with, should we go to the show and tell section? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited actually. I know you gave me an opportunity to see what you brought earlier and I turned yeah. you down. So this was the reason. I, I'm oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, let's see. It's just, just make sure that I don't uh, bump the microphone here or something. Okay, so um, 
let's see if I can get this in shots. This is my breadboarding workstation. So it's a, it's a 3D printed uh, housing and uh, it has, I can show on the front side, it has a lot of potentiometers, uh, different values, which is good. And there are connections down here, so you can put uh, your wires to the, to the breadboard. And there is also like a switch that you can use, uh, that you can access from down from here. There are um, 12 minus plus 12 volt and 5 volt uh, power supply. And there is also two speakers on the side. So there's a small power amp that you can have a volume bot, uh, knob here. And uh, on the back side, there is uh, three, uh, three and a half millimeter jacks that are accessible from the front. So you can actually plug this into your Euro rack um, from, from, from your lab bench. And there, there's also an audio out for the, for the, that go for the same as, as for the speakers. And uh, power, um, power uh, in, in letter, of course, with a fuse. So, um, so yeah, that's I use that really a lot for my uh, breadboarding. And the only thing that I'm actually missing that I, I should have done in retrospect, I realized that I should have placed a, a Eurorack uh, connector with the power down here somewhere. So I, I could sort of connect uh, a Eurorack uh, prototype directly to it. Uh, now I have to do that. Uh, I have uh, a Euro Analog uh, Test 3 uh, module that I am using for that. Uh, so that works fine because I, I can see the voltages and I can also see the current consumption of the module. So that, that is very useful as well. Oh, that's so, fantastic. So, yeah, so that was uh, show and tell, I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I think that yeah. I'm interested to. So, with the various pots that you've, um, potentiometers that you've put on there, are they just wired between ground um, and plus 12 on each one? No, frame? you can uh, you can access all the three terminals uh, down here on the, on the connectors here. So, oh, they fine. are sort of placed in a row. Okay, so they're just they're basically passively in there, so you can yeah. just configure them however you wish. Exactly, so I can use them like uh, attenuators or or just uh, um, voltage dividers or or whatever I want to use them for. Oh, that's really clever. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. So um, I've seen a lot of other. Uh, there is one guy that has made a. It's like a large PCB with a hole in the middle where you put the breadboard. And then it has everything around uh, sort of uh, collected around that. And that is uh, that is also a great idea, but it takes a lot of desk space, I think. Um, but uh, that is another way of doing it. That is fantastic. I love the, the aesthetic of it as well, especially because it yeah. kind of, it's kind of got like this old school vibe to it like a yeah it's it's looked like uh, something from uh, east germany or yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah, i don't know <laughs> maybe heinbach uh, would uh, love this one yeah. <laughs> yeah i think you'd find a way of making it do yeah. something with tapes or something crazy. yeah exactly <laughs> no that's fantastic how about mm -hmm. um you know on this show i've got like a question about the bin of shame 
Yes. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll read out my um, my little statement on the bin of shame because I like reading it out. Um, even the most experienced builders and makers have projects that didn't turn out as planned, whether due to technical difficulties, lack of resources, or simply bad luck. Can you share with us a project or build that didn't quite make the light of day? Yeah, I have um, <clears throat> a couple of builds here. And I I also have to mention uh, something that I don't have as a module because it failed on the breadboard already. And that was uh, one of the first filters I wanted to build for my, for my modular was the... Um, um, René Schmidt's uh, MS20 clone filter, and uh, you can see everyone has that filter in the in the <laughs> rack. <laughs> I don't because I I couldn't get it to work, and uh, it sort of failed on 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 the breadboard already. So I uh, um, I went with uh, I built uh, I think Moritz Klein's uh, diode ladder filter instead as as my first <laughs> filter. So, so that's that's the first uh, real. Uh, um, it's sort of in the bin of shame, but it's it's not right there. <laughs> it didn't yeah. make it to to the bin of shame shame uh, even. Didn't make it off the breadboard. Okay, but uh, then I have um, this is actually my my first module that I designed uh, myself. So this is um, an LFO. And uh, I didn't, I mean, the first, uh, the obviously the first module you want to build is an oscillator. But I thought that, okay, maybe I should do something simpler, but it's kind of an oscillator anyway. So I made an LFO. And uh, and it's a really nice design, I think, but <laughs> I uh, I failed horribly when it came to the ergonomics because I, ended up putting everything up here that that is sort of all the controls so it's very fiddly to you cannot really reach the controls and uh, it's not very ergonomical and there's a big space here that is used for nothing and and the reason for that is that I when I made the, when I made the PCBs I was very concerned about the uh, the routing of of the of power and things like that around the the op-amps, the TL074s. Uh, so I sort of prioritized that. <laughs> and then afterwards I realized, well, I have to have some potent potentiometers and a switch and stuff like that. Where should I put it? Well, I, I put it up here when I where I have space. So uh, the, uh, then I can uh, sort of um, put everything together. But uh, I redesigned that later on. And uh, nowadays it looks like this. So uh, I've sort of spread everything out a little bit more over the panel and made it a little bit more easy to, to use. So that's the, that's the first one. Uh, and uh, the second one is... Um, this is... Uh, I call it triple play. It's a, it's a clock and sync uh, generator that generates. Uh, it has a lot of outputs here with so sort of binary a binary counter, and uh, you can use it with. Um, you can 
it has three sources for for synchronization and that is uh, internal clock external clock and midi so and there's also display with that displays the the bpm and uh, there's a start and stop button so you can just have sort of tape control to start and, and stop things uh, and reset if you press the stop button twice then it resets and uh, it's uh, using uh, you can see that i have uh, um, salvaged parts from it <laughs> so it uses a raspberry pi pico for uh, for for everything basically and uh, the problem here was that i i put everything in one corner here so the and there is a midi connector which is uh, you um, you want to access that uh, and put in a, a midi connector or, uh, or a midi cable and that, that you, you need to use a lot of force to do that sometimes and uh, the panel is sort of it, it's uh, flexing because it's not attached correctly so um, and I also experimented a bit with, with the, the 3d printed buttons here uh, to to have LEDs that were sort of uh, um, we had a semi-transparent area that where I could could see the LEDs, but uh, I couldn't get that to work. So, uh, but the the end product looks like this. So here you have the MIDI connector, and now I I've put the connectors on each side. So now the the pa front panel and the module is very rigid, and. Uh, and yeah, I had to put the LEDs on on the here at the bottom instead. So instead of uh, inside the, the the key the keycaps. So that's uh, <laughs> that's my bit of shame. It's interesting because most people, well, that I've had on the show, um, although you do list you know your MS twenty experience um, as being a difficult one. Um, the, most people's modules make the bin of shame because of like electronic functionality issues, whereas yours have made the bin of shame due to like ergonomic or um, issues with the actual physical design elements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that that is uh, <laughs> that is where I struggle, <laughs> and uh, and design is not my. Uh, I'm not really good at it. So so. Um, um, I mean, sometimes you see people, they have uh, really great looking uh, front panels and they, and I wonder, wow, they, it looks so simple, but it's really good looking. And if I try to do that, it's, uh, it doesn't look like that. It's look, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, not so good. So, um, so I'm really impressed with people that have that uh, skill and uh, eye for, uh, for a good, good design. I think a lot of the time, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice, by the way, because I think your designs have got like a functional charm to them, which um, I think people can connect with. Um, but I think a lot of the time when you see something that looks kind of more beautiful, let's say, um, it's often when there's like a collaboration between electronic um, design and maybe like one of the members of the group of people is more into the art side of it um and yeah. while, when you're doing it all yourself that's quite a tall order to fulfill 
you know, like you've talked about before, you've got got software, you've got hardware in the electronic sense, and then you've got the hardware design of the actual functional module and the artistic flair on top. They're, yeah. To cover that all off as one human being is quite a, quite a big ask. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a it's a different uh, disciplines, and uh, uh, it's hard to to master all of them at the same time. So yeah, yeah, I think that's one of those it's one of those skills that will, no doubt, develop. And and where you've got all of the kind of software, you'll be able to go back and reissue panels for example with with designs on i'm sure yeah at some point maybe i should uh, actually ask someone who knows how to design panels to <laughs> to, to make them for for me well i think you're doing an amazing yeah. job considering you know you've uh, considering you've only been doing it really two years in 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 this in this form as um eurorack synth diy to get anything that looks so functional it looks as i said previously they your modules look like manufactured modules already so yeah thank you <laughs> uh, um, i also i also really enjoyed your um case building videos um and that's an example of one of your cases in the background yeah it's uh the the big case or the the, the only one that i have that is actually sort of used as a more of a musical instrument uh, I have three other cases but they are more for on the lab bench and on, on the on the desk where I uh, shoot videos and I want to demo a, a specific module and I use that that desk and that uh, skiff uh, I have a skiff um, case for that and uh, but the, the, the one in the back here that is actually the one that I'm using the least <laughs> I'm afraid so uh so maybe i should start using that more and maybe produce some kind of uh, of music well you can't do everything especially not you know the amount of projects that you've got on the go especially with the 909 series there's a lot of work there yeah yeah it's uh but i, I will sort of interleave that with with other modules because um all the modules that I make, they they are sort of um, they come from a, sort of a need that I I need to have drums and I need to have an output module. I need to have a, an LFO or a, or a MIDI interface or or whatever. So um, and uh, and there there's there are a lot of modules that I think that I still need, like uh, quantizers, and uh, I don't have any good uh, uh, sequencer for performance I, I have this small sequencer that I made for my um, for my Erika Synth's uh, baseline DIY uh, I call that module uh, Bass Buddy and that, that is a small Arduino based uh, sequencer that is very sort of um, it's a lot of menu diving to, to program that and that is that works for if you are home and, and sitting there and doing something, but it, it's uh, completely unsuitable for live performances, things like that. So, 
so maybe I I will uh, and I find sometimes that it it's uh, it takes too long time to to make a if I want to make a sequence it takes too much time to do it and I I really would like to have a sort of the classic analog sequencer like the baby eight or baby sixteen or something like that also in in the rack because it's so easy to to uh, dial in a, a pattern or 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 a sequence. Do you think you'd include like um, a quantizer in your design, or would it be a separate module? Maybe I think I, I would probably do it as a separate module, but uh, that is something that is on my to-do list to yeah. to make some kind of quantizer. Okay. Um, how about inspiration? Uh, uh, the first question I'm going to ask is, as a person, where do you go for inspiration? doesn't have to be about synth DIY just I think just to kind of like give a bit more of a background maybe yeah it's uh, I have my my other hobby the scale modeling there are a couple of, uh, of great youtubers uh, so I, I tend to go there now and then and check uh, their builds and uh, and I think um, but there is also a couple of, of uh, YouTubers that uh, I think are very uh, inspiring, uh, apart from uh, from uh, Christian and uh, and Moritz that I have mentioned earlier. And uh, one of them is a German guy called Marco Reps. It's the name of his uh, YouTube channel. So he has a channel where he uh, do product uh, teardowns and reviews, and he also has. Uh, sort of CNC project ongoing and uh, there are a lot of instrument uh, like uh, measurement equipment repair videos and things like that um, completely technical and uh, nerdy but uh, I love it because it's so uh, he goes into so much detail about everything and he's also very funny he has this sort of this German dry humor that I really appreciate and um, I also like to uh, watch uh, Phil Phil's lab and that is an electronics design oriented channel um, with uh, Phil uh, Salmoni I think it's called his name is he has a channel where he also has uh, online courses and stuff like that and um, and yeah and uh, other YouTubers that I find very, that I like to, to watch that is uh, Synth DIY is uh, Hagivo, for example, uh, or Hag Havigo. I don't know how his name is pronounced, but, <laughs> um, and uh, there is also one, um, I think the, the channel is uh, Toil or something like that, T-O-I-L. Um, also really good, I think. And uh, so, yeah, that, that's it basically. I'm gonna make a note of toil. I'm not familiar with toil, but yeah, I totally agree with um, Hagivo. Hagivo. I'm not sure how you say it either. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping, yeah. to, hoping to get him on the show. Actually, I've been kind of started talks with him. Yeah, um, that would be awesome. Yeah, he's been listed a few times, as as have you. I mean, you were definitely high up on the 
list of people that I would love to get on this show. And I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> wow. It's great for people to be able to A, see you, which is really nice, you know, and also B, get to hear some of your story and also, you know, to hear the journey that you've been on. It's it's absolutely brilliant to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really great to to have to be here and uh, and um, yeah, I really enjoy talking to you as well. Thanks, Tommy. Um, I'm going to wrap up now. So, um, as I said at the start, thanks to all of you who have watched, commented, and liked the podcast we've had so far. I'd really appreciate it if you give this episode a like and consider subscribing as it really helps to grow the show. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Bye, everyone.